The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 19th of December here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, allies agree to send a naval task force to protect commercial shipping in the Red Sea. The Bank of Japan holds firm with the world's last negative interest rate. And running out of time, Apple races to tweak software ahead of a US ban on selling its smartwatch. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Allies including the US, UK, France and Canada have agreed to send a naval task force to the Red Sea to counter attacks on ships in the region. On Monday, BP and Equinor joined a number of global shipping giants in pausing use of the trade corridor following a spate of attacks by the Iran-backed Houthi militants based in Yemen. Speaking while on a trip to Israel, the US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin announced a plan dubbed Operation Prosperity Guardian to address the threat. These attacks are reckless, dangerous, and they violate international law. And so we're taking action to uh, build an international coalition to address this threat. And I would remind you that this is not just a U.S. issue. Uh, it's just, this is an international problem, and it deserves an international uh, response. Lloyd Austin's intervention comes as Houthi militants attack more merchant ships in the Red Sea in response to Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza. The incidents threaten a route through which 12% of seaborne commerce normally passes, including supplies of LNG. The Bank of Japan is sticking with the world's last negative interest rate. After Tuesday's meeting, the central bank kept its short-term rate at minus 0.1%, offering no guidance on when the policy might be scrapped. But Jess Bacol, expert director at Monex Group, says that a return to regular monetary policy might not be far off. The Bank of Japan um, continues to be very, very cautious here. They don't want to go down in history as the central bank that kills genuine prospects for an endogenous demand recovery here in Japan. So we're still going to be talking about this next month and the next couple of months. I think that the course is set, that the normalization of interest rates didn't come today, but it will come in 2024. Jesper Culver speaking to Bloomberg. The Japanese yen weakened sharply in reaction to the news, reflecting disappointment from some in the market who bet on a surprise BOJ hike. Investors are still speculating that a Japanese rate increase is coming sooner or later, with April seen as the most likely option. Meanwhile, more Fed officials are pushing back against market rate cut expectations. Three more FOMC members are suggesting talk of decreases in early 2024 is premature. Bloomberg opinion columnist and former New York Fed President Bill Dudley says that there is a risk that we don't see monetary easing next year. The market may be getting a little bit ahead of itself. This is how Powell thinks the world is going to evolve. Uh, Powell thinks the Fed's going to be cutting rates in 2024. But it's possible that the economy could be firmer for longer, inflation could be more stubborn, and the rate cuts might not actually turn out to materialize. 
Bill Dudley's words come as policymakers Loretta Mester and Mary Daly said in separate interviews that markets were betting on a pivot too early. A report due Friday will show how the Fed's preferred measure of inflation fared in November. Now to the US. Apple will stop selling the latest versions of its smartwatch there. The shock move is because of a patent dispute with the medical tech firm Massimo. Massimo says that it invented a blood oxygen sensor, a feature that was added to the Apple Watch models in 2020. Managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management, Gene Munster, says it is a symbolic blow. 5% of their total revenue comes from watch. It's growing at, call it 10 to 15% year over year, which is much faster than the iPhone, which is basically flattish year on year. And most importantly, is watch is kind of central to uh, Apple's health and wellness initiatives. This device in innovating around the watch, like this oxygen sensor is an important part of that story. Munster adds that he expects the tech giant to find a workaround without damaging its bottom line in the long run, but that hasn't stopped shares in Apple falling in trading. Now, Nippon Steel says that the 142% premium that it is prepared to pay for US Steel is value for money. The Japanese firm announced the offer yesterday and says that it is confident that the deal will get the green light from regulators. But Bloomberg Opinion's industrials columnist, Brooke Sutherland, says that she's not so sure. We already had some comments from politicians, you know, back in August when this prospect of a deal was being talked about. A number of politicians said we do not want to see U.S. steel sold to a foreign company. And obviously that is the announcement that we're getting today. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. Now, I will say, I mean, there's been a number of foreign companies making investments in the U.S. spurred by the incentives included in the CHIPS Act, um, included in the IRA. Those have been cheered by the Biden administration. uh, And from a practical standpoint, if jobs are being created, and factories are being built, does it really matter if it's a U.S. company or a U.S. subsidiary of a company that's based in a country that's a strong U.S. ally? Maybe not, but politics can be very prickly. That was Bloomberg Opinion columnist Brooke Sutherland. Now, if approved, Nippon's $14.1 billion acquisition would create the world's second biggest steel producer with plants stretching from Osaka to Pennsylvania. A government rescue fund started by Rishi Sunak to invest in startup companies in the UK has lost nearly £300 million. Alongside COVID loans, it adds up to an expensive bill for Britain's pandemic business support. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more on the story. The government's future fund began as a way to support small firms during the pandemic, the brainchild of a fresh-faced chancellor called Rishi Sunak. Our plan for prosperity is to unleash the power of business. Businesses need support to start up, grow and export. So today I provide £130 million of new funding to extend start-up loans, £200 million for the British Business Bank. The then-Chancellor expanded the scheme, investing more than £1.1 billion of taxpayer money into an eclectic group of companies, including a lower league football club, a sex party firm and a company making cannabis products. Figures now show that a quarter of that money has been lost as some of the investments go sour. In addition to the £11 billion the government says it will never recover in Covid loans, the PM will be hoping that some of this investment firm's bets eventually pay off. In London, Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio.
So that's on one issue. The Prime Minister, though, also faces questions from senior MPs on his record later today. Rishi Sunak is expected to be asked about the economy and also foreign affairs in the wide-ranging liaison committee. It comes as the leader is likely to achieve only one of his five stated pledges made at the start of this year. Well, it's festive season, if you hadn't noticed, here in the UK. If you stayed up late last night, as I did, to find the perfect gift for that impossible person in your life, better consult the Bloomberg Gift Guide. Yes, it's a lighter note that I'm bringing to you this morning. Uh, They have a focus on food and wine gifts in the season of goodwill, good wine. And if you're in the UK, as our Bloomberg writer points out, a panettone obsession. Bloomberg writers have uh, the list of the most bling and unusual festive gifts, including a fourteen. $15,000 saute pan made of sterling silver. Other gifts not quite so pricey. Portuguese olive oil uh, or just buy the book. John Bonnet's The French the new French wine uh, doubles as a coffee table uh, tome. So if you can't uh, drink it, you can read about it. So that Bloomberg Pursuits. A little bit of festive season cheer for you there if you want to read about it on the Bloomberg Terminal. Now to our top story. Shipping in the Red Sea is grinding to a halt as attacks linked to the war in Gaza by Iran-backed Houthis worsen. Joining me now this morning to discuss is Bloomberg's trade czar, Brendan Murray. Good morning, Brendan. Thanks so much for being with me. We'd just like to start by understanding a bit more about the nature of the attacks and their frequency, which do seem to have been going up. That's right. So they seem to be a combination of threats of attacks and actual Uh, attacks themselves. And we've even seen a case of uh, one uh, maritime vessel uh, was boarded by uh, some of these rebels on on helicopters. So uh, in the past few days, we've seen a a marked increase in the kinds of ships that they're attacking. They're not just going after ships that have an Israeli port as as its next destination. Uh, They seem to be going after pretty much any uh, any big target that's that's uh, sailing by so mm. uh, definitely a threat to uh, this key uh, the the lifeblood of, of the global economy really global trade yeah absolutely so what exactly does um, the naval task force then look like because we mentioned in our top stories the US the UK Canada France are setting up this task force to try to counter the attacks what does that mean? Well, it sounds to it sounds to us like they're going to provide some sort of protective cover to the ships as they're passing through. Now, whether that means escorts or uh, just some sort of defensive uh, posture uh, to make sure that the rebels can't get close enough to fire on these ships uh, as yet to be seen. Uh, but there's a there's a real delicate balance here between uh, defending ships that are going by and and offensive uh, kinds of maneuvers uh, that that uh, you know target these rebels on 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 land so uh, it's going to be a delicate balancing act uh, for the for these military for these navies uh, to try to to try to pull this off in the coming weeks Brendan you're our trades are how is this affecting global trade well it's thrown a, a, a wrench in the works uh, initially. We've seen ships uh, diverted around the, the southern tip of Africa. That takes an extra two weeks almost uh, if mm-hmm. you're for a, for a ship that's coming from Asia to, say, northern Europe or the east coast of the United States. So uh, it's just a, it's going to slow deliveries down. It's going to make things more expensive. Uh, the insurance premiums for these ships uh, are going up. So they're just going to pass those on to the 
the Walmarts of the world, the uh, the retailers of the world, uh, which in turn will get passed on to consumers uh, ultimately. Mm. How much slack is there in the system to absorb sort of much longer trade routes? I remember, you know, when we covered the Ever Given, which was a big ship that effectively got grounded um, uh, in, in, in the area, and that created huge difficulties. How much slack is there in the system right now to be able to absorb longer trade routes? That's right. So the, the Ever Given was grounded in the Suez Canal during probably the worst time it could have when the, the whole uh, shipping industry was stretched to maximum capacity. That's definitely not the case now. Ships uh, are not running uh, full of full of cargo. The, the global economy has softened. The, the pandemic disruptions have subsided. So uh, f- uh, freight rates are way down. And, and there is some slack in the system to kind of absorb this uh, these disruptions. So if there is a silver lining, uh, this if there ever was a time for a capacity uh, shock like this, uh, it, this this would be a good time to, uh, to have it. Uh, that's not to say the shipping companies aren't going to feel it. Uh, and, and they the, the stocks of, of most publicly traded shipping companies have have rallied in the past few days because uh, th- this will this will help their bottom line. They'll be able to charge more uh, for goods being shipped around the world. Uh, but still, it's it's uh, it's something to, uh, that we need to keep an eye on. And whether this is a short term thing that's that's that that takes a week or two to resolve, or it, or we're looking at the, dealing with this for the next several months, uh, we do, we don't know yet. But uh, there, uh, there's a lot riding on. On, on whether this is a short-term or long-term problem. Yeah. What have you seen in terms of those freight rates? Has there been an immediate reaction? There, there has been. These freight rates uh, are posted about once a week. There's obviously spot rates that you can see day to day. The rates from Asia to Europe have spiked higher uh, in the past week. Uh, so uh, reacting to uh, these capacity uh, disruptions, capacity constraints that we're going to see, uh, those if they're if they last long enough could could ripple to other trade routes uh, so uh, you know us trans pacific us asia trans pacific routes we could see those ultimately affected uh, but as of yet it's isolated to that sort of asia uh, uh, sort of westbound to to europe and us uh, the, those routes in terms of the houthi rebels themselves and the attacks are they um, attacking and targeting ships connected to the war in Gaza. That was the, that was seemed to be the stated aim. But it, it also the shippers are concerned that it's not just Israeli linked ships anymore. What's your view on on the sort of risk uh, to, to the ships and um, that are trying to traverse this route? That's right. It started out uh, the threats from the from the rebels started out saying uh, if you're if you have a, any Israeli connection, if you're if your owner is uh, is is has Israeli connections, uh, then we'll target you uh, and 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 ships that weren't associated with Israel passed freely. Uh, that was the initial uh, uh, kind of threat that they that they uh, released publicly. But we've definitely seen it. Uh, but that changed in the past, say, three or four days. They just started going after every ship, whether it had an Israeli link or not. So uh, you've seen companies like Maersk, uh, you know, the number two container shipping company. Uh, you know, it's it's it was fired upon in, in recent days. Uh, MSC, the big the biggest container line, uh, you know, was also targeted. So 
the 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 connection between Israel and these ships, uh, you know, started out being very direct. Now it's just there is no there is no distinction to be made. Every ship is a target. Yeah, absolutely. Oil trading near its highest close in more than two weeks on the back of that because of the concerns about, uh, for example, moving liquefied natural gas tankers. Uh, thank you so much, Brendan, for being with us and for discussing this. Uh, the threats in the, in the Red Sea to shipping and the task force that has been set up by allies to try to counter that. That was Bloomberg's trade czar, Brendan Murray. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.